the, I think the, the solution, solution is men showing up more on domestic duties, but they won't because of freaking trad cons and neocons who are telling them that <laughs> no, it's gay and beta. It <laughs> is gay and beta most of the time. <laughs> hello, hello, gentle viewer. We have another day, another set of viral clips from the Whatever podcast. There are strong correlation, if not just straight up causation of being able to um, have a kid that's healthier, um, more educated, has better life prospects, um, just overall a better life if you can afford a better life for them. So I think there is something to be said about like, hey, you don't have to be the top yeah. 1% owner. Or, uh, yeah, you don't earner. need that extra 25% in your income. Yeah, yeah. but <laughs> I think there is also something to be said about like, hey, a lot of these women, the reason why they still want to work or they're still interested because they want to provide the best possible life they can for their family. So I think um, there is a balance to be struck there. I don't think it's all just like, oh, it's kind of frivolous money. Oh, so I think, uh, I, I, again, haven't seen the podcast in its entirety, but I'm guessing this clip centers around the idea of mom and dad both working outside of the home once there are children around, which I don't think Michael will be in support of. What this woman, I mean, obviously it's hard in this day and age. A lot of people do want families. They want a lot of kids. A lot of women would love to stay home, but we live in the real world and, you you know, you gotta, you gotta make money to feed kids, clothe kids. It's not easy. And I, I've had people say, well, Lauren, why would you shame working mothers? Uh, you know, not everyone is lucky enough like you to work from home part-time while having a kid. And it's like, I, for the record, uh, I don't believe in shaming working mothers because we live in society and there are people out there who would love to stay home, but unfortunately simply cannot because of finances. I think the issue that's worth focusing on for conservatives is the fact that families should always come first. So I guess that's my challenge to anyone out there, uh, working mothers and fathers. Are you working the amount that that you're working to provide for your family because it's a necessity or are you doing it out of self-interest for your own ego for your own career you could be spending more time with your family and your children but you're not because you're seeking glory outside of the home bad political economy right now that basically forces women to work even when they don't want to so it's no longer a choice it's more an obligation for most people and i agree that's bad and we should take political action to change that i'm all for that i think that would be great uh however here, here, michael you can raise kids on not a lot of money uh, you know, I didn't come from a ton of money, and I know a lot of my friends didn't come from a ton of money, and, you know, yes, you need to be able to eat, you need a roof over your head, you need some clothes, but you can do that for a lot less than we have now. The problem is, the two-income the two income trap is that once you start living that dink lifestyle, you know, d d dual income, no kids, or the dinky lifestyle where it's like no kids yet, you get accustomed to a standard of living that you don't want to give up, but... but it's, it's worth it. Yeah. Make sure you can feed your kids, but make sure you have kids to feed. I've often heard it said when I bring up the very low birth rates we have in the West that, oh, well, things are just too expensive for people to be having kids. People would love to be having kids. They just simply cannot afford it, which is why birth rate is so low. If you want people to have more kids, uh, people just need more money. That's patently false. Again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't make things more affordable or easier for families, but the idea that there are people out there, many, many people who would love to have kids, but literally cannot afford it. That is not what the statistics bear out. Okay. In the United States, you're actually less likely to have children or a lot of children, the higher income you are. You're more likely to have kids if you are lower income. You're more likely to have kids worldwide if you come from a poorer country than a richer country. And again, none of this is to say that we shouldn't be trying to make it affordable for families. We should, but there is a clear difference in cultural values and in priorities between, you know, poorer people who are, are used to maybe not as many luxuries, but who still want kids 
versus, yeah, your dink couples who really prize going on these multiple vacations a year. And they know that if they have kids, they won't be able to afford that. On this point, though, I have seen, I think it's Hungary, uh, has implemented a policy where if you are a woman and you have, I think, at least four kids, you don't pay any income tax ever. I think that should extend to like entire family units. I'm not exactly sure how that how that law works, but that is exactly the type of policy that I think we should be implementing in Western countries. And it has worked in, in Hungary, getting those birth rates up. Let's do more of that. I, I don't see a good conservative reason to oppose it. We could make this happen. Let's make it happen. I believe in us. Yeah. Also to go back to happiness and feminism and girl bosses and females in the workspace, another reason that women could have lower reported happiness is because they're still showing shoring up on most of the household duties despite now also sure. taking up, a, you know what I mean? They're doing still a line they share don't have domestic work. They don't get married anyway, so they don't even have households. That's not true. They're still they're still cohabitating. They're still yeah, even within marriage. That, I agree. Even cohabitation makes women unhappy too. Yeah. I mean, even within marriage now. You Fascinating stuff. Uh, we have more to get to. But first, I do want to say a big thank you to today's sponsor, The Wellness Company, a brand that I think is doing such good work. Did you know that close to 90% of pharmaceuticals in the U.S. are actually produced outside of the country? So what happens when the next global crisis strikes? Well, I'll tell you what happened. Countries clamp down on exports, okay? They stockpile, which means that the price of drugs rises and the pharmacy shelves in America end up being empty. These aren't hypotheticals. We saw this happen just four years ago, if you guys remember. And unfortunately, that scenario may be reality again in the not-so-distant future. Enter the wellness company. They're actually committed to supporting individuals through unforeseen challenges. And they have something that I think is an amazing idea, really, for anybody called their medical emergency kit. The wellness company's medical emergency kit includes eight life-saving medications, including amoxicillin, z and certain other drugs that since 2020 were not allowed to talk about at least online. You'll get those to keep on hand as well as a guidebook for safe use. So go to twc.health slash Lauren Chen and grab yourself the medical emergency kit right now. That's twc.health slash Lauren Chen with the code Lauren Chen to save 15% at checkout. Don't wait until you need it because unfortunately it'll probably already be too late then. Take back control of your health today with the wellness company's medical emergency kit. This kit is only available in the USA and you guys know I always think it's better to be prepared than not. So a huge thank you to the wellness company for sponsoring this video. You don't think a majority of, there's a ton of marriages in which women are also working and then also shoring up a lion's share of the household duties. Yeah. And that's why they're unhappy because now they're being burdened in two directions. Yeah, sure. But so what's the solution to that? I think the, solution, the, I think the, the solution, solution is men showing up more on domestic duties, but they won't because of freaking trad cons and neocons who are telling them that <laughs> no, it's gay and beta if they do these certain tasks. It is, <laughs> it is gay and beta most of the time. Um, so I, I would have liked to have seen more of Michael Knowles' answer there. But okay, regarding the household tasks not being equally divided. I think, you know, it is true that in the modern era, a lot more of the financial burden does fall on women, but women still are doing the majority of household tasks. And that has led to women being unhappy. Does that mean that we need even more feminism so that men do more household chores? I don't think so. I think we need to change the way that we look at marriages and relationships. Um, some people think that marriages are 50-50. That's not true. A lot of people who are in successful marriages will say that it's actually about 100-100. So both partners giving 100%. Ladies, you 
can't really have it all. The lie that feminism has sold women that, oh, we could be out here earning a ton of money and live the girl boss dream and we could just leave domestic duties behind because that's old fashioned. It's like, regardless of whether you're married, ladies, you're going to have to be cooking and cleaning. Like, do you do you assume that if you're single, you're not going to have to cook and clean for yourself? Because that's not reality. You're still going to need to do that. At least in the past, when marriage was more about partnership, uh, it meant that you could relinquish some of those other duties and you would, you know, overall be in a better position because you had a partner helping you through life. It seems like for a lot of people, that's not what marriage or relationships mean anymore. It's like, you're just, you're just roommates who do everything 50, 50 and you keep tabs on what the other has done because then that dictates how much you do and no extra effort because heaven forbid that you lose out. Just what a toxic frankly, a uh, tiring mentality that must be. The nursing programs and teaching programs have like put out, you know what I mean, research of why men won't join these industries despite them reaching out. And one of the biggest reasons is because they feel like it's overly feminine. Do you think that's due to liberal feminism or due to conservatism, that fear? No, I think it's just natural. I think it's just a natural thing about men. They they are not inclined toward the uh, nur- those more nurturing professions. But the, study, and, but the alternative the study is they're sitting at home unemployed the right now. They're yeah, reaching they, out to unemployed men. It's not men in STEM. They're reaching out to men yeah, who maybe, are disaffected right now, maybe, and they won't do it still because it's seen as gay. Yeah, I think the men the men <laughs> should work, you know, but they should maybe do things that they're more inclined to do. I don't think we need to conscript men to go become nurses wearing frilly little dresses. And or, but they're not the more inclined to do because you know what I mean. Manual labor jobs are basically getting eradicated. And a lot of these men, but, not yeah. to be mean, aren't necessarily but, smart enough to go into STEM. So I think other industries yeah. might be better for no, them, look, but they won't do it. They'd problems. rather sit at home to preserve their masculinity. Part, and I think conservatism <laughs> is to yeah. blame for that. Part of, part of, no, I think mass migration is actually to blame for the, the problem of the working classes not having as much employment as they used to, um, which is something that conservatives generally haven't pushed. I think there are all sorts of political reasons that that happens, but I don't think that any amount of feminist indoctrination and brainwashing is going to convince a man that he really wants to do an extremely feminine role. So that's interesting. And I guess the question this woman is asking is how can we make men more likely to enter these roles that are traditionally seen as feminine uh, because, you know, unemployment rates are high and some of these different roles like nursing or teaching, I guess, have job openings. It's just that unemployed men don't really take them. I agree with Michael Knowles. I don't think we should be conscripting men who don't want to be in a certain industry to be in that industry. Historically speaking, if someone does not want to perform a job or duty, making them or trying to manipulate them so that they are compliant, I don't think it's a recipe for success, especially if we're talking about something like nursing or teaching where, yeah, you're going to be best at the job if your heart's really in it. I don't want some guy who doesn't want to be there being my nurse or my child's teacher. That sounds like a recipe for disaster. And no, the answer isn't to tell men to set aside their masculinity. Also, it's interesting here uh, how she brings up not enough men wanting to be nurses or teachers. Does she simultaneously think that it's a problem that not enough women want to be uh, garbage men or go into the trades. I I haven't seen the interview fully, but I'm guessing the answer is no. So to me to be saying like, oh no, like, you know, they're all in general happier at home. Well, we had a clear period of time where women fought expressly against that. No, we did. And then we 
we, as I mentioned earlier, we measured against it, and <laughs> we measured how it turned out, and all but one of the surveys showed that the women became less happy. So I, I'm, I'm totally willing to well, take these surveys with a grain of salt, but in as much as we can measure them, they undercut your argument. No. If there was a survey that showed that men are happier just sitting on their ass all day on like some island they just are. watching TV, they are in the short term. do you think that they should strive towards that? Uh, no, because they wouldn't be happier in the long term, because happiness is an objective matter. It's not purely um, subjective. So uh, like men, though, truly, this is why Genesis 3 is written the way that it is. Men do not want to lord over women. They don't want to dominate women. They don't want to be knuckle draggers. You know what men want to do? They want to sit on the couch and eat potato chips and be left alone. That's what men, that, that's the broken dark right, I'm just saying I think everyone would be happier in the short term sitting at home on a couch, which is why I think those studies no, that you're I don't think so. self-reported happiness refers to that no. type and not you. I think women would be happier in the short term playing the girl boss and having all sorts of, you know, color-coded notebooks and pen, pens and stuff, but they would find that they don't actually like it. They don't really want to work at the law firm. They don't really want to be in the widget factory. They, they would rather do something that is more naturally feminine. Interesting. So I think a concept that Michael Knowles is getting at is not just the distinction between short-term and long-term happiness, but I guess hedonistic pleasure versus meaningful joy and purpose. I don't want to be independent. I want to be dependent on my wife. I love my wife. I want to make a vow that I'm going to stay with my wife forever and have a nice big family. And I don't want to be separated at all. I want to be one flesh with my wife. If I didn't want to do that, if I wanted to just be on my own, but have someone to mitigate the loneliness and occasionally sleep with, why get married at all? I, I do want to get married. I am going to eventually date to marry, I think. Like, my goal is to eventually start dating in, like, a year, date in under three months, get engaged, get married. I don't want to do the, like, multi-year yeah, dating okay, that's and, good. like, cohabitating before. I think that's a joke. Great, I think it's a waste it. of time. But, but, I'm but also, why do it? I'm also cognizant of the fact that... Okay, so I'm not familiar with this lady. She's on the modern woman side of the table, but she's doesn't seem to be an OnlyFans woman herself. Maybe she's just like a, a feminist lady. I'm interested. I'm interested in what her story is. Men today are a joke, and there's a one in four chance that your husband's going to commit infidelity, and I don't believe in necessarily like pursuing There are things the you can do to mitigate those stats, though. Mitigating infidelity for, yeah. on my husband's part? What? You Being can. a doll for him? <laughs> no, no, I wouldn't recommend that either. Uh, uh, no, the things you could do are, is marry men who, for instance, don't recognize the sacramental reality of divorce. Just to use one example. He's saying because I said infidelity. Or, or who recognize that infidelity is... Every uh, man I've ever dated has been Christian. So it's interesting that a lot of, a lot of people who are both feminists or red pill manosphere types, they act as if stats apply equally to all people and there's nothing you can do to mitigate them. Like, oh, you know, there's a one in four chance my husband's going to cheat on me. So that's just the way it is. Different groups and individuals will have different likelihoods of cheating on you. Same with the guys who say like, oh, well, there's an 80% chance like your wife will be the one who files for divorce, whatever. Um, there are mitigating factors you can do. Did you know that you do not have the same rate of divorce if you are a high school dropout as you do if you are a college-educated person that comes from a family that doesn't have divorce in it, right? There, there are differentiating factors. Same with infidelity. The likelihood of your husband cheating on you is not going to be the same uh, You know, if he's a committed Christian who waited till marriage or at the very least didn't sleep around before has never cheated on anyone in the past versus if he is a serial philanderer and maybe you guys met because you were both hooking up behind your partner's back like there's 
there's things you can do to mitigate risk, okay? Uh, not everyone has the same risk factors for every little thing. And I, I hate the mentality that the feminist and even red pill sphere types uh, act as if there's nothing they can do. Situations are just out of their hands. They're at the mercy of the statistics. It's like, no, you still have agency. You can still make good or bad decisions. Conservative and at least one of them, I found an Oculus in his closet where he's watching VR porn. In my experience, like I said, at the macro level, it's usually these Christian conservatives who are the most mm -hmm. porn addicted. And at a micro level, these men I'm dating. You, you date a lot of these fans. Christian conservatives. Well, There's I'm, something about them that attracts you. Well, mm -hmm. I'm waiting till marriage. Good. Oh. Okay, that's good. Uh, good for her. Good, so you don't... Okay, well, look, that, I think that's fabulous. Mm -hmm. And I love that you as a feminist are very attracted to Christian conservative men. I think that's good for society broadly. Um, it's bad that these guys are like looking at porn or whatever. Uh, I don't know that that necessarily implies that once they get married, they would either continue to do that or would step out on you and cheat and have an affair or whatever. I, it does seem to me, though, that certain groups of men are less likely than others to right. sleep with other women. And so, you know, if you want to have that good, stable life and maybe uh, overcome your fears of being dependent on someone yeah. who might be a total loser, then you might, might want to make sure you don't pick a total loser. But even stepping out of sight, I mean, I gave you those stats, stats about correlation between religious men and pornography consumption and prostitution purchasing. So like, yeah, some, how can you some, say that? Some people who are broadly religious of some sect or other uh, do that, and all pe people are uh, tempted by things. But I don't think that we can just throw our hands in the air and fall into a kind of romantic quietism and say, well, they're all just, these, do these men are all dogs, they're all cads. No, actually, some men are more inclined to virtue than others. And, uh, uh, you know, that, that might, if you... But based uh, off the stats, it would seem the religious men are less inclined to virtue. No, they're not... They're watching a, that's, porn that's and buying sex. That's ridiculous. You're, you're telling me that... that uh, but I gave Christian you the men are more, are more like... She didn't give any stats. She was just like these people do this more. Like, that's not a stat. And I also don't think that's correct. Like, if you look at actual church attending Christians, there's, I mean, again, we're like speaking of hypotheticals, but no, she didn't give a, she didn't give a stat. No, you gave me a stat and said, uh, you know, certain red states with certain religious groups consume certain kinds of porn or whatever. But the more Christians you're, you're, are in a state, the more pornography consumption and searches there are it, in prostitution purchases, yes. It would seem that perhaps... The okay, so I'm just going to... In the United States, there, you know, a lot of studies that break things down by state or geography. And it's interesting because in the U.S., southern states tend to be more conservative, but they also have, let's, I mean, they have more illegal immigrants, right? Because they're in the South and uh, they have more people of color, broadly speaking, including black people. A lot of the stats that people try to say are affiliated with, oh, being conservative or being a Christian they're not actually measuring what they think they're measuring. Um, I saw a, uh, gosh, a tweet that was very, very unfortunate for the person who was posting it. And her question to the internet was basically, why are red states so violent? To which someone replied, the awkward moment when you've basically posted a map outlining the prevalence of African-Americans in the United States. There, there's a lot of associations being made here that don't make sense. There are other factors at play like there. What? When you're talking about a full state, I don't know, when you're talking about class, income, when you're talking about education, when you're talking about fa family formation in the first mm -hmm. place, when you're talking, for goodness sakes, when you're talking about geography, you know, we're talking about whole states here and you're pulling one variable out and saying, see, there it is. The correlation is the causation. Good, Michael. That's crazy. Anytime I see one of these podcasts go viral, I always want to ask people, put aside 
how fun you think hookup culture is. If you look at the two parties who are on screen, which side seems like they genuinely have joy and purpose in their life? Which side seems like they have it more together? I'm not saying that that automatically makes someone right, but if it's a consistent pattern where the people who are arguing for family, for stability, for tradition and Christianity, they always seem like the ones who, I don't know, maybe aren't addicted to this or that or going through this or that personal crisis. Like maybe there's a lesson to be learned there. In any case, that's basically all I have to say for now. And as always, if you enjoyed this video, please be sure to like, share, and subscribe. Until next time.